testing. Ash. Hello. Ash. I know you don't want to hear me speak, Ash, but come on. <laughs> Hello. Hey. Excellent. Well, I know that you want to pray for me, and I do want you to pray for me, but actually, I'm just going to jump onto Facebook. Because, well, I mean, some of you guys are on Facebook because, you know, after all, sermon doesn't quite give us the same dopamine reinforcement as, you know, Facebook or YouTube clips. I mean, we can do those for hours, whereas, to be honest, I'm two minutes into a sermon and I'm already starting to feel sleepy. Uh, so I thought I'd actually post, just jumping onto Facebook here, onto the Vineyard Pine Rivers Facebook page, um, a prayer for this morning. Uh, let's see if it's actually up there, if they've let me post it or not. It's up. Excellent. Oh, it's up there. Excellent. How good. Um, it should also be on the actual page, though. So I know you're on Facebook, so you can check it out and like it. Uh, but I will also accept prayer from you, Scott. So <laughs> you don't have to pray that. You know, that was just me trying to be as innocuous as possible and <laughs> not get in trouble in a public forum. <laughs> I love it. Give help and wisdom to the speaker. The speaker, and to the hearers. The speaker is posting. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um. All right. <laughs> Why don't you extend a hand of um, blessing towards Tavia, identification that we, you want everything that the Lord has for you this morning. And so, uh, yeah, right. everybody's already praying. I don't need to pray. They're all praying for you. <laughs> awesome. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah, you, more Lord. Lord. Fill Tavia up. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you. We thank you for this um, this young woman who is a mighty warrior um, before you, Lord. Um, apparently, I don't need to pray much more because you're all over, <laughs> Lord. So I do pray for the hearers this morning that we would continue to open ourselves up to all that you want to do in our lives this morning, Lord, that as Tavia speaks... The, the seeds that you want to plant deep in our souls that would take root in our being and become a part of our everyday life would, 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 would get down where they need to go. They would go as deep as they possibly can into our lives. We just say as the, the body of Pine Rivers that, that we want all that you have, Lord, and we open ourselves up to all that Tavia is going to say through the power of the Holy Spirit. In your name, Lord. Amen. Okay. Hey. All right. Excellent. I should post on Facebook more often. Uh, that prayer was awesome. Because um, you see, my topic is one of those, you know, I, I know I should do it, but I'm busy and I would rather watch Netflix topics. Uh, and so on that note, uh, viewer discretion is advised. This sermon contains concepts and material that may disturb some viewers, including explicit challenges to complacency, spiritual references, and low-level theology. All right. <laughs> Just to get you in the, you know, so you're not feeling too much withdrawal from Facebook and Netflix and all those things, and we can actually get through the next... 40 minutes uh, without falling asleep. Now, I share my house with a flatmate and her two cats. One, Sam, we affectionately dub our prayer cat. Because when Tina and I pray together, if we're praying for other people or for healing, Sammy will be there like a flash. He'll be weaving among us. He'll be purring. Now, I don't know if he's sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but we call him our prayer cat. But he isn't the cat in the house who has actually taught me the most about prayer. Because you see, there's Chisai. Where Sammy is usually shy, she's pretty confident as a tabby. And when we pray, Chisai never comes over. She is not that kind of cat. But she is the most determined little pussycat you will ever meet. If she wants something, she will do everything in her power to get it. She has learned to knock on the front door. Because the, you know, the cat flap is like so very far away. Um, if, uh, if it's 2am and she's feeling lonely, she will, and I'm not joking, literally throw herself at my bedroom door to demand entrance. She will wail and caterwaul over and over at 2am. Uh, she is a nuisance and we love her dearly. Her persistence is staggering, but it is in the matter of food that she has taught me about prayer. For Chisai has learned that human food is good, much better than cat food. And so you sit down to eat and soon, silent like a knife, Bo 
Silent like a knife, there she is. Uh, will appear Miss Moggy, her eyes not limpid pools of pleading, because that is not her way, but fixed with expectation on your own. As she watches every forkful, you lift your mouth. It is unsettling. Um, like, I will be just saying, num, num, num. oh, whoa, cat. Um, and I will say, geez, I'm eating spinach leaves. You are a carnivore. I will let her smell and refuse my celery, but still she waits, sure that on my plate lies something good for her. Because, you know, sometimes I'm in a yogurt or feta or, best of all, cream. Well, something with cream on top anyway. And then she knows that I will give in. Not because she is a good cat. No, she is not. No cat who leaves vomit for you strewn through the house like smelly rose petals from a demented lover is a good cat. Uh, I don't give a cream because she's especially persuasive. She has but one tactic. To make sure I know she's there and then not leave until she gets what she wants. Her perseverance is daily an example to me. And certainly today, you know, I could talk about persevering in prayer, but that's actually not the quality of her waiting that teaches me. It's her expectation. She knows me. She knows I have given her good things before. I am a soft touch. Uh, She knows that I have good things to give, and she expects that I will share that with her. She just has to wait. When I pray, what do I expect Do I expect God to answer? I mean, do you? Do we actually know what the point of prayer is? Oh, wait a second, the anecdote is over. We've had some theology happening. It feels like a Facebook moment, and to help us cope with our withdrawal symptoms, uh, here's some BuzzFeed to distract you. Five shocking myths about prayer. All right, myth one. Prayer is a waste of time. God is God. He already knows what I'm going to pray anyway. If you can go to the next one. Thank you. Um, I thought I'd use some dog images up there, being Facebooky and internet-y. Uh, and yeah, this is weird, I'll grant you. Um, there's this bit at the end of Job where, Job where God tells Job's friends, ask Job to pray for you and I will answer his prayer. Now think about that. Ask him to pray and I will answer. So I would like to know what is the point of praying then? I don't understand. Um, but then I think about Chisai the cat, waiting expectant in my presence for good things. She's not pleading, she's not reminding, because after all, I already know what she wants. Wanting food is her base state of existence. Uh, But sometimes, you know, she actually wanders off, and I think, all right, you're not really hungry, I'm not going to give you any, you know, of my nice food. I mean, do we actually want what we're praying for sometimes? But when she waits, and she waits, she makes it clear to me what matters to her. And as she waits in my presence, that little cat is watching my every move minutely. You know, I sometimes, because unlike God, I'm actually quite mean, I'll be like, I'm going to lift my hand here, I'm going to lift my hand here, and she's like, up, up, up. Um, this cat knows me. She's watching me. Uh, and now you may have heard this before, and I'm going to leave the imperfect cat analogy aside, but I think prayer is more about aligning ourselves with God's way than getting our own way. It has an effect on our character. It changes us. Because when we're praying, we're reminding ourselves who we worship. That this is a relationship, a conversation. It's not a shopping list of requests. And as we pray, we deepen the relationship, just like conversation in any relationship. I mean, if it's good, real, rich conversation, it helps us to get to know the other person and ourselves better. Because in conversation, we reveal ourselves. Um, You know, we make little ties from ourselves to the other person and back again. And I'm assuming that if you are here listening to a sermon, that you want that relationship with Jesus. You want to deepen that relationship. And prayer is the way. Um, In many prayers in the Bible, corporate ones and also personal ones, the prayers remind themselves and God of his character and his promises, what he's done in the past. And so prayers which may have started with, how long, O Lord, end in confidence. But I get the feeling you've suddenly gone, oh, okay, we're heading to the Bible. It could be less entertaining. So quickly, clickbait to the rescue. Let's rephrase things. Listen as this stressed-out psalmist totally changes his mind. You'll never guess his trick. So how does a psalmist in Psalm 13 go from, how long, O Lord, forever? Answer me! To, I rely on your constant love. You will rescue me. I will sing to you, Lord, because you have been good to me. Which is actually something we sang this morning. Psalm 77 gives it away, starting in full drama llama mode. I'm so worried, I can't speak. Has God stopped loving us? That's actually what it says in the Bible. They then explain their tactic. I will recall the wonders you did in the past, and I will meditate on all your mighty acts. 
Now, you see this flow in Psalm 10. You know, why are you so far away, Lord? Bad people do bad things. Do something, God. Changing to, you are always ready to help the helpless. The Lord is king. You will listen. You will give them courage. You will hear their cries. You will judge in their favor. They are reminding themselves. They are recalling what God did in the past and they're focusing on the character of the one they're praying to. And it doesn't sound like a shopping list prayer. And in fact, it doesn't even have to be as organized as that. Psalm 109 reads like a manic depressive teenage girl. I praise you, God. Bad stuff is happening. Curse them all. Uh, Help, you promised. Help, because you were good. Oh, I'm gutted. They may curse me, but you will bless me. I will give loud thanks to God. I mean, honestly, crazy. Cray cray. But it's honest. (laughs) I, I work with manic depressive teenage girls, so that's what they talk like. I guarantee (laughs) that when you pray like that, it is focused on God and is changing you, the prayer. So what if we're telling God stuff he already knows? I mean, I guarantee that you, like me, have friends that as soon as they start talking, you kind of know where the conversation is headed, but you wouldn't have it any other way. They're your friend. You want them to talk with you like that. And the thing is, we need to pray. Whether I know or I don't know the ins and outs of why we pray, I just know I need to. It's what humans do. We've been doing this from the start. Uh, Adam and Eve obviously converse directly with God. But even after sin put some guilt and shame in the way of that, their grandkids, Genesis 4 tells us, still called on the name of the Lord. In fact, a little side note here just because it's interesting. One of them, Enosh, he walked so closely with God just in daily conversation that he didn't die, which to use the language of emojis is amazed face. Yep. Um, And we haven't stopped praying since. God wants us to pray. Proverbs tells us the Lord is pleased when we pray. He wants this conversation. Do we? I think we do. I think there's a reason that people have been calling on the name of the Lord since the start of time. Um, Several years ago, I was watching the film The Pursuit of Happiness in the cinema, which is based on a real-life story. And the protagonist goes through what I would say is a pretty dark time. And I was so engaged in the story and I was so distressed by his plight that in the cinema, I actually found myself praying for him. And then I caught myself and I'm like, wait a second, this is, you know, this has already happened, it's a movie. But what it showed, what it revealed to me is that when I am moved, when I'm distressed or I feel helpless, I want to bring that to someone who is bigger than I am, someone who can do something about it. And, you know, which is all well and good. Okay, yes, we should pray. But the thing is, of course, do we? We kind of don't. We we might do lots of little prayers, but I want to go now to BuzzFeed Myth 2. Regular prayer is for people who don't fall asleep after two minutes on their knees. So let's address that. I also, I love quokkas, and that quokka, he looks so happy. It looks like he's fallen asleep while he's praying. Um... K.P. Yohannan, the founder of Gospel for Asia, uh, he shared an anecdote about a church leader in India he met and prayed with. And um, so he's you know, praying with this guy, and after a while he looks at his watch, and he realized that they, this other guy, not him, this other guy has been praying for almost two hours. And K.P. says, you know, I'm shifting around a little, I'm uncomfortable because my legs are falling asleep. And eventually the visitor says, amen, and I thought he was done. And then he looked over at me and he said, your turn. <laughs> And now KP went on to say that this man began to help him understand the reality of, you know, just sitting still, of being quiet in the Lord's presence, of simply being with Jesus. Now this man spends, according to those who know him, an average of seven hours a day in prayer. Now I don't know how you react when you hear stories like that or Martin Luther's famous statement, busy today, need to pray for two hours instead of the usual, sorry, three hours instead of the usual two. But my reaction is, what the flip who has this amount of time? I mean, I can't talk to anyone for three hours, let alone Jesus. What madness is this? I mean, you know, are these super Christians? Are you trying to make me feel guilty? Is this just another religious hoop? So let me share a more personal anecdote. Uh, I meet with a small group of Christians once a fortnight. It's not actually connected to any church, but it is a home group. And the leader, and I'm not being funny right now, she is actually a proper prayer warrior. This woman can pray. She can pray for an hour. She thinks of things to pray that would not occur to me. Now, it's good. I am contributing with lots of agreement. Yeah, but with love, at 9 p.m. on a school night, I really struggle to stay awake. And I want to. I mean, the Holy Spirit is present. The power 
when the passion of the praying is genuine. But to quote Jesus talking to the disciples, could you not stay awake for one hour to pray with me? And apparently the answer is no. No, no, I could not. Um, I, I have fallen asleep in home group prayer. Um, and yet, and yet I can get home after this home group and look at pictures of funny dogs on the internet for an hour. Now I confess this to you because I know it is not just me. I mean, God, God has a great sense of humor. I think, well, I thought when he revealed to me that he wanted me to preach about prayer, because I actually can't, couldn't, when I thought about it, remember the last time that I had sat down to pray for more than, and I'm being completely honest, more than two minutes when I wasn't doing something else. You know, just praying on my own, not praying and driving, not praying and walking, not praying while I'm reading my Bible, not praying to finish park run, just praying. <laughs> it's very, almost every week. Um, and I actually think two minutes might be a stretch. I tried this morning and I suddenly realized I need to iron something and that was a minute. So I got to a minute. Um, so this topic that God picked today, there is at least one person in this room who needs to hear this sermon. Let's just put it that way. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying we all need to go and pray for seven hours. But as a follower of Jesus who prayed, I should also be praying, I think, uh, and regularly and for more than two minutes. But how? Now, blogs are cool at the moment because it's just weird because they're kind of like short sermons, but on the internet. So let's title this blog, Tavia Gives Some Advice to Herself. So sensible Tavia says, well, put some time aside. And normal Tavia says, I have no time. And sensible Tavia says, well, hey, wait a second. You put time aside to exercise occasionally. Uh, you know, you'll agree to meet up with a friend for a jog. You put yourself in situations where you will exercise. So do the same with prayer. Put yourself in places where you will pray. Kinship group, prayer group at church, work prayer groups. Plus then other people will share the load. Now, role play over. I th as I thought about this exercise analogy, it also occurred to me that, you know, we think it's okay to train for sport, but we assume that we're being religious if we apply the same discipline and commitment to our prayer life. We know that the way to get better at jogging is to start slow and jog a little bit more each time. And I suspect the people who pray for one zillion hours also started small. Uh, Teresa of Avila, a Catholic chick who lived quite a while ago, she said that beginning in prayer can be as small as just humbly recognizing God's work in your life. And, you know, there are heaps of tips I could give you. You know, that you could, there are books and bookshelves that have been written about prayer. And I'm not trying to cover everything about prayer this morning um, on, you know, on how to pray and the importance of prayer. But in the words of clickbait, you'll never guess what she did next. Go for it, Bo. Give me a click. Yes, very good. Excellent. Another quokka there for you. Um, I get that we are allergic to words like discipline and effort. And although they are part of this, that's undeniable, this is not a ritual, this is not religion, this is the other R word, Roger. Yeah, I get you were probably expecting rest or relationship, but and they are relevant, but Brother Roger was a Catholic, another Catholic I know, who developed a meditative style of worship which I personally love called Tazay. And his way of prayer was simply spending time with Jesus. So you might be going, okay, what, what, what do you mean? So I'm actually going to give you an example who I think is the guy who probably inspired Roger, and he certainly inspired me hugely. And in the words of clickbait, this old monk's trick totally changed how I did prayer. I sort of love that picture because, man, the guy has like a sword in his skull. He's looking, he's totally chilled. Yeah. Um, that, now, this is not a picture of Brother Lawrence, but I'm going to talk about a guy called Brother Lawrence, and he was a monk who lived in the 1600s in France. Now, this spiritual warrior was clumsy, he was assigned kitchen duty, and he didn't like it much. He was prone to anxiety and melancholy. I mean, this is a monk that I can connect with. But by the end of his life, his reputation had spread of, as a man of unusual serenity to other people were drawn to. The Pope even visited him. So in this otherwise very ordinary man's life, people found remarkable wisdom. They found insight that surpassed all their expectations. So why? Well, he aimed to continually practice the presence of God, the habit of an ongoing silent conversation. Basically, in every moment, in every task, he was just trusting God and he was bringing that to God for specific guidance. He said, amidst the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I am able to have the same peace as in the quiet of my devotions. He said, we ought not to grow tired of doing the little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, 
but the love with which it is performed. He continues, As I worked, I would continue to hold familiar conversation, offering to him my little acts of service and entreating the unfailing assistance of his grace. When he finished each job, if he had done it well, he would give thanks, and if not, he would ask God's pardon and then he would go on, resting in God's forgiveness. He added, Life is full of perils and hidden reefs on which we will shipwreck without the continual assistance of the grace of God. And if we are continually just giving him little prayers, we'll just very easily be able to ask him for help. I turn the cake on the frying pan in the love of him. And Brother Lawrence recommended for us to do all of our just daily common things for the love of God, to set his consecrating mark on all we lay our hands to, and thereby fostering the sense of his abiding presence. So basically, as the epistle writer put it, Brother Lawrence prayed without ceasing. He prayed about everything. And so must we. As we encounter needs, pray. Whatever we're doing, pray about it. Pray on the go, in the car, as we read our Bible, before we do our tasks, for ideas, for the weather, as we exercise. Often while I am jogging, I I will pray for my family, I'll pray for the church, and usually by that time, then I will just pray to finish Park Run. Um, When something is brought to mind off our usual train of thought, there is a reasonable chance that there is something, or that is something or someone we should pray for. Uh, on, on many occasions, more than I can count, I've had, you know, a random, you know, somebody's come to mind and I thought, hmm, and I've prayed for them and I've called them. And, you know, I'm suspecting it's God's prompting. And when I, you know, then they pick up the phone, they will immediately let me know how pertinent that timing is. I, you know, I've, my, you know, rung my sister going, okay, she's been brought to mind and she was, you know, in, deeply crying, just crying. And she's like, you have no idea how much I just needed to speak to someone. Um, so, you know, God is trying, to, he wants us to pray all the time. You know, perhaps it's something we need to confess or it's something that worries us. And this is praying as I go is something I genuinely try to do. And, you know, often I forget, you know, in the busyness of life, but then I just return. And it doesn't feel like an effort. In fact, to be honest, it's addictive. I could not imagine life without this private, ongoing conversation with the source of all wisdom and comfort and help. It is the background to my living. You know, busyness may drown it out, but it is the place of my returning. So to explain a bit further, another good example of prayer that seems more like rest than a multi-hour marathon is Brent Rue. Now, Peter Price Davies, I don't know, yes, he's here, uh, lent me, or since I haven't returned it, let's just say gave me, <coughs> a CD of some of Brent Rue's uh, sermons. Now, this guy um, was a guy in the early vineyard days. He's since uh, gone to be with Jesus. And honestly, the sermons were great, great teaching. But one has really stayed with me. Uh, Brent Rue talked about a season of prayer where he wasn't listing things at God's, but uh, he felt called by God to just find a quiet place, no distractions, early each morning, and just sit and soak in worship songs and just let God love him. Now, that just seems too easy, doesn't it? I actually find it hard. You know, it seems like a trick for me. You know, it doesn't seem like real prayer. But for Rue, he actually found some significant effects in his ministry as a result of it. And I have learnt a lot from this, from just sitting aware of God's presence and letting God love me. And it's hard because, you know, we're used to doing. And it's hard, you know, letting God, someone love us, that actually is also pretty hard. And this is the balance for discipline in prayer. Rue was still disciplined and committed. You know, he put time and he put space aside. But he wasn't striving We would hate to see the kids we love strive in our presence. We just want to be with them and love them. And doesn't that appeal? You know, it's one of the things we're in dire need of in this busy world. It's just the rest and renewal of being still in God's presence. Think of Mary and Martha in the Bible. Now, if you don't know the story, uh, Martha was busy about many things. I mean, she was getting a meal for Jesus and not in the, if you feed this person, it's like you're feeding Jesus. She was actually feeding Jesus. So, you know, that seems a fairly worthwhile activity. But Jesus says that what Mary was doing, sitting at his feet, learning from him was better. Now, you know, this story can roll me up sometimes because I actually get Martha's point of view. You know, she's working hard because if she doesn't do it, who's ill? You know, who's going to, is Jesus going to have lunch? Maybe he would have done a miracle. I don't know. Um, but Mary, you know, Mary here is just sitting back. She's lazy. You know, she's having a good time. She's not offering to help, not doing her share. You know, she's just sitting in Jesus' presence. I want to sit in Jesus' presence. I want to relax and chill and be lazy. And, you know, there's work to do. And I think Martha is one of those people who was made to feel guilty growing up if they were caught relaxing. And that's just to give an insight for those of you who do not have that problem, do not have trouble relaxing while other people are working. Uh, 
chosen not to point at people, but you know, there are some of you out there. Because uh, <laughs> some of us need this broken off us. It is not lazy to sit and rest at Jesus' feet. And I know for some of you it is easy. Uh, but for others of us, it can actually feel like a waste of time. Because we are busy about many things. And here is another lie of the world. Work does not equal, I am a good person. It is countercultural to just sit and rest with Jesus, to seek first the kingdom, to trust that all of the rest of the stuff will be taken care of. And that includes the work that needs to be done. And now you may be thinking, well, you know, that's very easy to say. I have actually tested God on this when I remember to, and he does come through. So, you know, prayer can seem appealing, yet at the same time, you know, we know it's hard to pray. So kind of we want to avoid it. There's this, you know, it's a waste of time, so much effort, you know, a bit of a doge up there to give you all those perspectives. Now, I don't want to put a burden on you, but neither do I want to water down the importance of prayer. Prayer is a non-negotiable. We need to pray for so many reasons. And because it takes time, it takes discipline. And this is not the discipline of earning your salvation. Jesus did it all. You cannot add one thing to what Jesus has done to you. But just like a kid who we love, but who we don't want to stay a baby, we need to grow and mature. And prayer is how. Yes, like Martha, there are other good things that we can be doing as we follow Jesus. But being in his presence in prayer is what Jesus said in that parable is the key thing. So we need to accept that along with the ease of salvation is the discipline, not striving, the discipline of following. And that discipline is to do with our time. Jesus prayed, so we pray. Jesus said to pray, so we pray. Jesus modelled finding time in a busy life to pray. Sometimes Jesus prayed, that time was while everyone else was sleeping, and I know that my flesh hates that idea. But I will beat my body and make it my slave. I will take every thought captive. I will hard as it is to say, take up the cross, because that's the language of the warriors that we are called to be. And we need to help each other because we struggle with this. But, you know, maybe perhaps your struggle isn't that you think prayer is pointless or hard, but to quote BuzzFeed Myth 3, God doesn't answer my prayers, so why should I bother? Now, entire books have been written about this, the entire book of Job in the Bible being one. Um, And it is something I struggle with. You know, why does God answer some of my prayers pretty amazingly? but stay utterly, heartbreakingly silent on others. Now, it is worth considering, and like Job, this may not be relevant to you, but sometimes I find I need to examine myself and I see if there is any sin that I need to address and confess. We are saved, okay? But God cares about our sin and it can get in the way of our relationship with him. In fact... If we are blatantly disobedient, ignoring God's commands, he says in Isaiah 115, no matter how much you pray, I will not listen. Now, I am not saying this. I am not saying this to make you feel guilty, but I don't want you to be also unaware of it. You know, perhaps, perhaps this may be, maybe you, and you may have wondered why your walk with God is lacking vigor and growth. Maybe it is something you need to bring to God. Maybe you're like Job and it isn't, but maybe it is. Because then it can unlock other things, including healing. One preacher from my past called it keeping short accounts with God. Uh, And I really like that idea that if something comes up, I just deal with it. I, you know, it's like, ah, sinned. Sorry, Lord. Okay. Yeah. New. Thank you. Um, It kind of, for me, the Holy Spirit in me makes it kind of feel like uh, grit in the working of cogs. And I don't like that feeling. Uh, In fact, I do not want anything getting in my, the way of my relationship with God because I think it is too important. And yet, I still struggle. I need to deal with regularly with the hardness of my heart where I can just go, I'm just going to ignore that sin. I know it's there, but I just I don't want to deal with it. But fortunately, God always, always leaves a way open to him. For we rely on the character of the one we're praying to rather than our character. Just like in the parable Jesus told in Luke, God will always respond to a humble attitude. As the tax collector said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Like Daniel, who prayed on behalf of his nation, we pray to God because he is merciful, not because we have done right. So that may be one of the reasons. And another is sometimes, just like the cat, Chisai, we need to be persistent, expectant. Jesus tells a couple of parables about here where he encourages to just persistently knock until you get what you're asking for. Because apparently, not getting an answer is not a reason to give up. 
Uh, George Mueller, who was a Christian who lived in the 1800s, he famously had over 50,000 specific recorded answers to prayer in his journals, 30,000 of which he said were answered that day or even the hour. But he struggled with prayer. In fact, he struggled for many years until he started to pray with the Bible open. Um, and he had committed to praying daily for five uh, friends of, uh, sorry, for, oh, I think it's five friends of his son or something like that. But anyway, so he's praying and 18 months later, one of them became a Christian. Five years later, the second became a Christian. Six years later, the third. 52 years later, he's still praying every day and two of them still haven't become Christians. Now that, that is persistence. But the cool thing is that within five months, sorry, within months of his funeral, the final one had given their life to Jesus, all five. That's persistence though. I don't, I, I don't, you know, there's people I do want to pray for every day, but I just don't. That guy is a, a model of, of persistence. Uh, Daniel in the Bible, he prayed uh, faithfully for his nation, but it was actually several months later when he was greeted by an angel who said that he explained that God had actually answered his prayer straight away, but that there was demonic warfare going on, which had slowed the answer. Uh, which had held the angel up. So that passage gives us a little glimpse that there's actually sometimes stuff going on behind the scenes because prayer is a massive part of the battle between God's kingdom and the kingdom of Satan. Um, SU Queensland's prayer letter has this great little question on it that I see almost every day because their prayer letter is up on my wall. It says, what if prayer is not preparation for the battle, but the battle itself? Because there is a battle going on. And it's one of the reasons why we find prayer hard. The enemy is doing everything he can to stop us. You know, he will um, tell us that other things are more important. He will uh, try to make us busy. Um, you know, that it should be easy to pray when, you know, even maintaining normal relationships is hard. So, of course, it's going to be hard to, you know, when there's battle going on to maintain a relationship with God. Uh, the devil is going to do everything to stop us because prayer is both powerful and important. You know, the devil will say, oh, you don't need to. When we need to do it actually more than anything else. Praying is really countercultural. It is part of the different way of life that the kingdom calls us to. And yet, how bored must God be when our prayers are so boring that even we fall asleep during them? Which brings me to BuzzFeed Myth 4. Prayer is boring. So, in response to that, let me tell you about a guy whose biography I... Love It challenged me hugely and I actually went looking for it and I realized I've lent it to a friend. Uh, but I found it. It's free on the internet. Um, it's uh, Reese Howe's Intercessor. Uh, when I first read it, it was hugely challenged me. And I had several friends at the time who were also reading and they also responded that way. We used to call it a dangerous book because we'd kind of want to go off and be missionaries and things. Um, Reese Howe's life story is, is amazing, but I'm actually just going to focus on one part of it. And it happened during World War II. Basically, he and a group of Christians uh, were hanging out in the Welsh countryside and they committed their, their lives at that time to being intercessors, which is kind of like prayer warriors. So there were people fighting on the, you know, in the war and they were like, we're fighting in prayer. Uh, and before and during the war, they kept very detailed accounts of what they were praying, but also what was happening in World War II. And it showed these guys actually had an impact on turning the entire tide of World War II. When you read the book, it is, you just go, wow, it gives me chills. Uh, including Dunkirk and the Battle of Britain. But there was also some significant stuff they did before the war that actually gave Britain time to prepare. So I'm going to read directly um, some bits from the book. In 1938, when the dispute arose with Hitler over Czechoslovakia, resulting in what became known as the Munich Crisis, a voice Hitler followed was urging him to attack while Britain was still totally unprepared. War seemed inescapable, and the leaders of the nation, and I can imagine them doing it these days, they called for a day of prayer. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our nation did that? Now, the intercessors, um, this is Reese Howe's group, they prayed intensely for days until they felt God had given them the victory. And a short while later, the Munich Pact was signed. Basically, despite all the signs to the contrary, they had averted, or as we now know, postponed, the war. And it gave Britain this, as I mentioned, this vital time to prepare. Now, the British ambassador to Germany in his biography describes Hitler's reaction after signing the Munich Pact, and this is really interesting. Hitler felt irritated with himself. His followers were approaching him for having accepted the Munich settlement and thus having missed the most favourable opportunity to attack England while it was still militarily unprepared. Hitler's voice, this is the ambassador to Britain speaking, talking about this voice that Hitler followed, had told him that there could be no better moment for it, for the war, 
But for the first time, Hitler had failed to obey his voice, which had always proved right in the past. For the first time, he had been compelled to listen to contrary opinion. Now, I get chills. I mean, these guys prayed, and they prayed hard, and whatever demon that Hitler was listening to was drowned out. Like, that's awesome. That sounds like hard work, but that's not boring at all. And they affected the course of history. And they're not the only ones. Now, I'm not sure if you've heard of the Moravians, but ever since I've heard of them, they kind of like have been this exotic, fascinating group to me. Basically, this group of Christians in 1727, they committed to praying as part of 24-7 prayer. And they were all taking turns in this 24-7 prayer. And it lasted. This prayer meeting lasted for 100 years. Now, that sounds impressive, but actually what's more impressive is the impact. They weren't a big famous group at the time. In fact, um, you know, even 100 years ago, lots of people wouldn't have heard of them. You probably haven't heard of them. Um, they did sound, send out an unusual number of missionaries, but it's actually since their time, since you know, they've, they've done that, that the result of their prayers, that prayer meeting, has become apparent. Uh, Professor Leslie K. Tarr, yep, K. Tarr, that's it, I've got his name right, traced back and figured out that the 18th century revivals, because remember, these guys were praying in 1727, the 18th century revivals known as the Great Awakening, when huge parts of the entire English-speaking world turned back to God, could be traced to their faithful, quiet, but regular and committed prayers. That they, their prayers sustained the fires of evangelism. For example, a key figure in the Great Awakening was John Wesley. Now, his mystery, his actual ministry can be traced back to his encounters with the Moravians. Uh, when he was travelling to America by a ship at one point, this massive storm occurred and, you know, everybody on the ship is like, you know, wailing and they're screaming, we're going to die, um, except the Moravian missionaries who were totally New Testament singing praises to God. And Wesley, you know, he was a Christian, but he was like, there is something different between their faith and what I have. They, they have something I want it. Is it not possible that what they had was a result of this round-the-clock prayer that they were involved in, that this committed prayer? And I know that as a church we have actually done 24-7 prayer, that you guys embrace that wholeheartedly. You know, I, I don't find this kind of impact, worldwide revival, I don't find that boring. And yet I also know that committing to pray regularly is something in my flesh that goes, oh, I don't really want to do that. Um, but in the Bible, heaven actually has a different perspective. Did you know that there is silence in God's presence in heaven as the saints pray? Revelation 8 tells us this. And then the passage describes this angel adding incense to the prayers, which have been offered up on the altar. And then what happens on earth is rumblings, thunder, lightning, and earthquakes. That's the effect our prayers can have. That's heaven's perspective. But maybe, maybe we're a bit bored because of the way we pray. You know, I know that we get a bit uncomfortable with emotion in spirituality, unless it's a sporting match. Um, <laughs> some of you get the implication I'm making there. Uh, you know, it's because of our culture. You know, we feel if it's like a bit put on, a bit tele-evangelist for us. Um, but I actually think that's just the devil robbing us of cool stuff. That, that, in fact, I think that odd, frightened, awkward feeling we get when someone gets a bit emotional in prayer, um, I think that's just a projection of the devil's fear. Because prayer can be thrilling. So I'm going to read from Psalm 18. And uh, I'm going to skip through the verses just for time because it is quite a long psalm. How I love you, Lord. You are my defender. The Lord is my protector. He is my strong fortress. My God is my protection. And with him, I am safe. He protects me like a shield. I call to the Lord and he saves me from my enemies. Yeah, Lord. The danger of death was all around me and he heard my voice. And then the earth trembled and the mountains rocked because God was angry. He tore the sky apart and he came down. Hailstones and flashes of fire came from the lightning before him. The Lord reached down and he pulled me out of the deep waters. Oh, Lord, you give me light. You dispel my darkness. You give me strength to attack my enemies and power to overcome the defences. This God, how perfect are his deeds, how dependable are his words. He is like a shield for all who seek his protection. He is the God who makes me strong. He trains me for battle, oh Lord. You protect me. Your power has kept me safe. You give me strength for the battle. You make my enemies run from me. The Lord lives. Praise my defender. Proclaim his greatness and that is why I sing. Now if your heart rate, if your pulse doesn't speed up a little while reading that prayer out loud, I'm sorry, but you are dead. 
and or you're really, really manly or an Aussie and don't worry, you can come up and get prayer for that. <laughs> okay. Now, so let's deal with the biggest BuzzFeed myth of all though. I am too busy. Believe me, I know about busyness. I was in a year seven camp this week. I was at school at 7am yesterday for a thing that lasted till 12. And then I went back to school at 5.45 because I had an excursion which finished well after 10 o'clock. I know about being busy. Um, I am busy. I'm too busy. I don't have time to pray. Maybe, you know, when I'm less busy, I can pray. Which is, of course, the biggest deception that Satan has ever pulled. Because we all know that the busier we are, the more we need to pray. Um, and as I mentioned before, when I was talking about Brother Lawrence, you know, we can definitely pray on the go. You know, we can put prayer lists up around us when we see them to help us prompt us to pray. But I really still think, and I'm preaching to myself, that I really personally need to be putting aside a regular time to pray. If I really want to grow closer to Jesus, and I do, I must devote regular time to prayer where I'm talking to him and I'm not doing anything else. If I want to be able to pray for others and see healing and more breakthrough in their lives, and I do, I need to admit that I have no power because I do not pray. If I want wisdom, if I want to overcome temptation, if I want more love, I want more peace, the answer is near at hand, and it is to put time aside to pray. And as I said earlier, that requires a counter-cultural effort. I mean, the thing is, some of my time is wasted. Now, you might be one of those amazing people who never wastes any time or watches a TV show for a few hours at a time or spends half an hour on Facebook, but I struggle. The rarest commodity in the West is attention. And God honours our choices. I can pray or I can watch that TV show. I can pray for my cousin or I can sleep in. I can have an impact on the fate of nations or I can consume the internet. I choose not to establish godly habits regarding prayer. I let laziness and busyness rule me. Now, it is easy to prick on TV and the social media. We all know we should waste less of our time on these things. You don't need a sermon on that. So let's actually, let's poke a little bit at the things that seem non-negotiable. In BuzzFeed language, you'll be shocked by these things that aren't actually your highest priority. Maybe like me, you are very busy. Now, some of the busyness I have is burdens that I have actually chosen to place on myself. They're good things, but a bit like a person carrying six bags of groceries from the car to the kitchen, I stubbornly stagger along saying, I can do this. Um, unwilling to consider it doesn't actually have to be this way. I don't have to live like this. It's countercultural, but I could do less. But what if you are genuinely busy with only work and with chores and with kids and you really don't have anything you could cut out? What is left? Well, the answer is everything. God is, if you follow him, more important than anything else. And this was actually really hard to write. I actually felt like I was saying something sacrilegious or blaspheming. And I think there's a demonic spirit in this. Because the thing is, God does expect us to care for our kids and honour reasonable work responsibilities, which is why he will ensure we can if we seek him first. And that is totally upside down from the world's perspective. Our culture has made children into little gods and uses guilt to coerce parental attention. Work is one of the things our society worships. Now, work gives purpose and it provides resources and food we need. But who is our provider ultimately? God should be. Your work cares whether you get your work done. Your work does not care about you. It is not a god worthy of your worship. And nor is the money it provides worthy of your worship. And even, and I'm speaking to the parents here, a school shouldn't rule your lives, which it does for so many families. I see this from the teacher's point of view. It dictates to you. Schools dictate to parents because that's what dictators do. As a teacher, I am quite happy to free you of that and to say, good grades, ensembles, teams, they are not as important as your relationship or your kid's relationship with God. The school cope. It'll, the school has to actually. You're actually their employers and you need to recognise that. <laughs> I can say that because I'm a teacher and I know what the truth is. We are called to be countercultural. Now, I don't want to load guilt onto already burdened shoulders. I feel myself the busyness and the weight of that. But I want to encourage in particular the mothers out there with some more clickbait. Watch in amazement as this mother changes the world. You'll never guess how she does it. I take heart from Susanna Wesley. This woman had 19 kids. I know. And one was crippled. And 11 of them died before she did. So she knew something about tragedy and, and difficulty. 
Her husband left her for a year because they disagreed about politics. He spent time in jail on occasion. The family had trouble paying their debts. They often didn't have enough money. Her house burnt down twice. She homeschooled her kids in Latin and Greek, which frankly, I'm just like, okay, she's amazing. When the sermons were bad at her church, she ran an afternoon service at her home that eventually grew to 200 in attendance. When did she pray? Well, she let her kids know that when she was sitting with her apron over her head, and believe me, in class at times, I've often wanted to throw a sheet over my head, protect me from the year sevens, Lord, um, that they, her kids, they knew that they weren't to disturb her because she was praying. That's when she prayed, on the go, snatching whatever time she could. And you want to hear some of the prayers, the answers to the prayers she prayed for her children? Well, her son, Charles, wrote some hymns that we actually still sing today. But her son, John Wesley, who I mentioned earlier, preached to over one million people in his life. At one point, 32,000 at once. And he was a key part of that worldwide revival, as I mentioned earlier. And it makes me cry because her prayers mattered. This mother, you know, she's just doing the best she can. Her prayers mattered. Your prayers matter. Even if it's in your kitchen or on your way to work. Every prayer you pray matters. Now, one of my favourite bits of clickbait is a satirical fake news report called Babylon B. If you want to stick that up there, Bo, thanks. It's written by some Christians. It's pretty tongue-in-cheek. It makes up fake news to point out some of our Christian behaviours and culture. I've got one on the screen about the strength of foyer coffee can be connected to sound church theology. Don't know how our coffee is, but anyway. Uh, there was another one I really liked where the, uh, the headline was Church Takes Down Offbeat Clapper with Tranquilizer Gun. <laughs> I thought we could have given Scott that earlier when everyone was talking up the back, you know. Could have just given it to Trent and he could have gone, ping, ping, stop talking, people. Uh, but anyway, I made up a news report with permission from some of the people involved, a fake news report, to point out some of the thinking we get into. Church prays regularly and is surprised to see radical change. Vineyard Pine River's attendees were shocked this week to discover their praying actually made a difference. I always thought it was one of those things we talked about but never actually expected people to do, said Associate Pastor Karen John Jacobs, in response to reports from churchgoers finding a dramatic increase in the release of God's power. Youth leader Bo Geiskins agreed. I thought only God, God only answered super extreme Christians' prayers for big stuff, but I prayed regularly for a tough situation and things got better. Uh, pastor assures congregation that it's just a coincidence. Don't stress, said Assistant Pastor Scott Stevens. These things happen from time to time. Particularly if we pray more regularly, there's a greater chance of what being prayed for actually just lining up with things that would have improved anyway. <laughs> when asked about those members of the congregation who were continuing to insist that the increased regular prayer was actually connected to increased salvations, powerful healing, and growth of deeper relationship with Jesus, the Assistant pa Pastor replied, oh, Don't worry, we won't let her preach again. <laughs> Now, now we laugh, but you know what? I know this church can pray. We had a time of prayer and fasting last year that you guys just embraced wonderfully. You know, we have had prayer nights. We have prayed for the nations. We prayed for this nation. We prayed for our community and our church, uh, which have been really well attended. And I, I know that God was present. As there was some awesome breakthrough that happened there. You know, we have prayer on Saturday mornings. I want to cast a vision for the church that Vineyard Pine Rivers will be a community of prayer. Jesus prayed, let's follow him. He changed the world. He's still changing the world. And even more amazingly, he's changing us. You can be a, a Teresa of a villa, you know, looking for and recognising what God's doing. That's, that's a you know, simple thing you can do. Or, or you can be a Roger or a Mary or a Brent Rue and sit in God's presence. You can be a Brother Lawrence and you can bring him into as many moments as you remember as you go through life and work. You can be a George Mueller and faithfully pray for family and friends. You can be a Moravian and commit to being a part of a regular 24-7 prayer network. Uh, you can be a Luther and pray for hours if you really want to. Uh, you can be a Reese Howes, you know, a prayer warrior and pray for world events. You can be a Susanna Wesley and snatch prayer while you pray for your kids, while you care for your kids and pray for them. You can be a David in the Bible and, and pray honest, real, teenage, cray-cray prayers. However you pray, remember... God sends thunder and lightning from heaven to make an impact on earth in response to what you pray. I feel like you're on board with this as I look around. I've, you know, I finished the written part of the sermon. And, and one thing I, I kind of want to add, because I was reading it, um, this is a prayer thing from Open Doors this morning, because I, I thought I'd really tried in this not to put burdens on you, but 
I read this this morning and it made me just, it totally flipped my perspective. It said, this guy in uh, Yemen is saying, the war has focused us on what really matters, following Christ, even if it costs us our lives. The Bible is very clear about what we can expect. Suffering is part of life for those who follow Christ. And it made me realize that, you know, when I'm sort of saying, oh, we have to pray, oh, this burden, maybe I needed to be a bit more forceful about that, I don't know. We need to pray. It is, it's, we, we need to pray for these Christians in Yemen and in Syria and in Egypt who are facing persecution. They need us to pray. Our prayers matter to them. Um, I'm going I'm to talk to the Holy Spirit right now um, because I think they're probably, in, in what I was saying, there might have been different things for different people that you recognized was, was God working in you. So I'm just going to uh, bring the Holy Spirit more forcibly to the front right now. I know he's been here the whole time. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, bring to, to mind, to our minds, what for each of us is the thing you need to work on today. I get the sense that for some of us, there are things we need to confess to God. We need to bring it to him. We just need to get a clear slate with him again. If, if that is you, feel free to come forward or to stand in your place. Just to acknowledge before God, yes, Lord, I need to confess before you some things. Come, Holy Spirit. I think busyness, I think that is something that if you want that broken over your life, I am one of those people, uh, definitely come forward to get prayer for that. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Before the, before the um, sermon, Neil brought, uh, he was praying and he got a sense that praying in tongues is something that is a way we honour the Holy Spirit. If you want to be able to pray in tongues and you've never been able to, or you, you re- realise that you do have the gift of praying in tongues, but you're actually not using it. Bring that to Jesus. You know, talk to him about that now because that is something the Holy Spirit would love to give and I know that I would certainly be happy to pray with anyone who wants the gift of tongues. Come Holy Spirit. Now, I reckon there's... It's hard to stand up and admit that you need God to help you with this. This is something serious. It's not something... You know, it's a nice sermon. It was entertaining. Yes, Tavia's very funny. But... Holy Spirit, can you just move hearts and minds right now just to convict people of this is what we've got to be doing this more than we are doing. If that's you, stand up. And just on the spot, just be praying to God. You know, feel free to pray out loud. Just say, God, I, I need to bring this stuff before you. I need to pray more. Help me to pray more, Lord. Give me your strength. Come Holy Spirit.